I went fucking bananas over that issue. It pissed me off so bad. And I, I had to actually talk myself down from writing to DC and just going off on them about it. I was like, Superman, of all people, would not, would not use that expression. But and anyway. Yet. And yet. <laughs> <sighs> 76 trombones in the big parade. With 110 cornets right behind. That's not familiar. What's that from? It's from seven. Uh, the Music Man. It's the what? It's the what? It's the Music Man. That's how I like to say it. Damn, I gotta stop eating that or I'll eat the whole fucking thing. What are you eating? My wife loves me and she brought me home this pumpkin. It's pumpkin. Something pumpkin bread. It's like, it's like banana bread except it's got pumpkin in it. It's Oh man, it's awesome. My wife brought me home pumpkin um pop tarts pumpkin pie pop tarts oh i saw those i was really tempted to try Good. them except the pop tarts for some inexplicable reason give me just murderous heartburn i don't know why whoa that's weird those pop yeah really? pop tarts and those fucking rice crispy treats i used to love Rice Krispie treats. I can no longer eat them because if I eat a Rice Krispie treat, I swear to God, it's it's like somebody's poured battery acid down my gullet. I swear I, to God. I feel so bad for you right now. <laughs> Dude, there's I, a lot of shit that I can't eat anymore. It sucks. It totally that sucks. Makes me so sad. Oh, my God. Scott, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this together. <laughs> Look, man. I feel it's like, gonna, huh? It's it's gonna be fine. <laughs> I feel like I got nothing to bring into the table for this episode. I don't know. I'll figure out something. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. I just no, uh, no. I'm just saying. I got. I, I feel like I got nothing. So I'm hoping that. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, something something comes up in the conversation or something. I, I, it's just a weird feeling for me. I'm usually sitting here staring at either either notes on the computer or notes in a notebook, and I got I, I feel naked. I got nothing. Uh, excuse me, because that's what I call a sticky situation. <laughs> I don't know why every time I say that I, it strikes me as very funny, but there you go. So, all right, it's, you, it's your shin. It's usually yeah. Uh, you know turn what? is it to bring it in? I'll bring it in because uh, I I just might keep this under wraps that you're that you're actually on this episode. Okay, because people have been clamoring for an old school back to the bins. So, all right, we ready? Yeah, I'm good. All right, folks, you asked for it, and here it is, an old school back to the bins. I am Scott Gardner, and joining me for the first time in just about forever, Michael Bailey. Hey! <laughs> How's it going, man? It is going great. Uh, it feels like we've been talking for hours. It does, doesn't it? Which keen-eyed keen <laughs> listeners and longtime uh, loyal followers of our podcast will know that is Mike and Scott speak for we've been recording for before and this is the last <laughs> thing for the night. <laughs> Shh, Which, don't tell him. You'll spoil the mystery. 
There is no mystery for us, Scott. Not at all, really. Come on, really? There's not. There's really not. I, we, we have just put ourselves out there far, far too, far too far, actually. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Me more than you. <laughs> Jesus. I'll talk about, like, the first bowel movement I ever had, so... Well, you know that's that's one of the things that uh, that definitely in, in just uh, both amazed me and endeared uh, you to me as a as a podcaster was uh, you know especially on views where you really did you really put yourself out there and there were a lot of instances where I, I was very envious I was like wow you know I, that you know I, I would love to be able to do that but then over time it also turned into a thing where it was like. Holy shit, dude! There's no way I would tell somebody that, you know. I wouldn't tell my best friend that, let alone like a crowd of strangers that could potentially really, you know, use that a- a- against you. I wish I could think of a like a specific instance, but there were a few times where you were where you were very, uh, very real and very um, just uh, forthcoming with with details of of you know your your life. That I was just like, wow, you know, that's. That's really putting yourself out there in a way that I don't know that I would be comfortable doing that. You know what I mean? Well, one, it separated me from the pack. Um, kind of gave me my own identity as a podcaster. And two, you know, I, I never did anything illegal. And I would argue that you haven't done that because I think you've gotten very raw on, you know, the the episodes you did about um, eh, you bastards. Uh, well, you no, know, I mean, there's a difference but, though between you know telling no, of your of your hijinks as a young man and and saying no because th- this is where I just I hate to cut you off. I'm no, not no, go ahead. But in that episode where you talked about Eli Nutter and you went into about your high school experience and how miserable you were, I felt so bad for you. <laughs> no, seriously, I was just like really upset. After well, not it was funny. Don't get me wrong. I, I got entertainment value out of it, but to hear how depressing it was for you, it really, it 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 made me kind of sad inside. So uh, you've done it too, just not to the extent of talking about the death of a parent that I have. So right. Well, I mean, I'm not just talking. Well, there's well, there was definitely that. That was a hard episode to listen to. Frankly, it really was. Uh, you know, from an, I mean, from an emotional standpoint, not like, well, that was a terrible episode. I mean, you know, just it, it was hard to listen to because it was heartbreaking. You know what I mean? But uh, I mean, you, you've you done. Damn, I really wish I could think of a specific example. But I know that there were instances where I heard you talk that I was like, there's no way I would tell somebody that, you know. But but I'm not saying it like like I was going, geez, Mike, you went too far. It was more like, wow, you know, I'm I'm. <laughs> That takes balls, you know, because I'll give you a perfect example. When I when I was a kid, and uh, for a time we lived in a place, and, and if Chris Honeywell just by some miracle should happen to listen to this episode, he'll get a kick out of this. We used to live uh, in a place called West End Avenue um, in Carthage. It was the last place we lived there before we finally moved um, to the Black River area. And all the kids at the bus stop were older and bigger than me. And they all used to pick on me all the time. And they had a name that they called me that, to this day, I hate that name. I would never, ever tell somebody that, you know, in a, in a show. You know, reveal what that name is. Because it, it's just one of those things that, to this very day, bugs the crap out of me, you know. And I would just be so, 
you know, it would upset me to put that out there, especially if some wise ass then picked that up and then it became, you know, it started being used all over again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even if they thought they were being jokey or it wouldn't bother me, it would. But I've heard you do stuff like that, you know, tell stories like that. And I it just was just like, wow, you know, there, like I say, there's no way I would do that. So, you know, hats off to you to, uh, you know, that it does. It takes a lot of balls to really put yourself completely out there, you know, honestly to people. Because, you know, to a to a certain extent, you know, and maybe I shouldn't say maybe this is this is my going too far. Maybe this is my uh, reveal that shouldn't happen. But to a certain extent, you know, the Scott Gardner you hear on, you know, the multitude of Two True Freaks podcast is a character. You know, I would say 99.9% of it is you know, absolutely me. But there's, you know, there's that 0.1% that's held in reserve that that nobody's going to get. You know what I mean? Because there's just certain things that no, I don't want that out there, you know? Yeah, no, I, I can understand that. And in keeping with that, I, I think I'm going to kick this, with, uh, this episode off talking about how I lost my virginity. Um... <laughs> Oh, and you fell on that fence post? <laughs> Heads up, there's a lot of crying in this one. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I'm not going to talk about that. No, there are things. There are things I have not talked about uh, specifically because either a lot of the stories I tell, I'm pretty comfortable that the other people involved wouldn't mind me telling them. So, but there are certain stories that I don't tell because the other people involved probably wouldn't want that crap out there. Let me put it to you that way. I've been uh, working on something involving uh, a production of a musical called Big River that I was part of that when I was typing things out, I'm like, can I say this? (laughs) Can I say this without people from high school that I know on Facebook jumping all over my ass? But Still, um, I don't know. It's it's just a natural evolution. It's why views has more or less um, kind of come to an end because I think I've done everything with that show that I, that I that I can that I can without just repeating myself. And that doesn't mean that I won't ever go back to it. Nor does it mean that something may not take its place. Um, it just ended up being a very personal thing, and I I really think that the pinnacle of the show was the. 15 16 billion part thing leading up to episode 100 uh where most of the stories you're talking about were told i liked that i liked that a lot ah one day i'll write it out as a book and sell it then they'll sell the movie rights and i'll become a wonder years the next generation (laughs) with somebody else singing you know little help from my friends that isn't the beatles speaking of which and this is kind of off uh this this has to do with comics it has to do with comics monthly monday as of this recording folks uh chris honeywell released the image for this month's comics monthly monday and dude we really look good on those bodies we do we do and i hope i didn't hurt chris's feelings because he sent me a copy of that and he's like you know let me know what you think and i messaged him back and i was like I like it and everything, but I was really hoping that it was going to be, you know, something different, you know, something that is actually referenced in the episode. And as soon as I sent it, I thought, shit, that's not going to read right. That's, you know, he's going to be like, you know, deflated because I didn't praise the image. So I wrote him right back saying, but that's not to say I didn't like it because I did. I think I think it's really an awesome, 
uh, Photoshop job. We we look it great. Like, it looks like us if we were a band like twenty years ago, and now we're getting right. back together right. to to reunite. <laughs> He did do. He, but, uh, he's getting much, much better with that yes, all the time. It's... Yes. Good lord. <laughs> Except when I was Daisy Duke, I still have issues with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but um, this isn't quite a traditional episode of Back to the Bins because neither one of us have a comic to bring to the table. But it's been so long since you and I uh, did something, did Back to the Bins together, and there are things that happen in the course of my comic collecting travels that don't get brought up on comics monthly Monday because we just don't have the time to talk about everything. We would good God. We tangent enough as it is uh, on that show. <laughs> but um, I guess I'll start, I'll start off uh, with some of the things. One, hey, hey, I have been listening say, Mike, to a lot of graphic audio DC. Hey Mike, yeah, you're breaking Hello? up like crazy, buddy. Uh, I have, have everything closed. Um, it seems like it's going in waves tonight. It's weird. It's like you're really, really good for for a stretch, and then it goes kind of wonky for a little bit, and then it. it you know, How do I sound now? Breaking up like crazy. Still breaking up. Still, yeah. You want to restart the call? Compress this and restart it. I yeah. can do that. Yeah. Give me okay. just. Give me just a second. Yeah. Speak, boy, speak. Good dog. <laughs> <laughs> Sound a little muffly, but uh, it's not breaking up like it was before. Yeah, I'm hoping that you, you sound a little muffly, too. Like I, th I think that'll probably clear up as we go. Um, either that or we'll sound like a, we're on the telephone. There, it sounds like it's clearing up a bit now. Yeah, oh, yeah, you yeah. just cleared up seriously. Yeah, there it goes. All right. Okay. Just, goddamn Skype. <laughs> We rely on Skype so much. We do. <laughs> and we hate it just the same. I'm scared to death that they're going to go to where it, it's going to cost money to use Skype. They're going to do away with the free feature, and then we're all going to be fucked because it's like, oh, no. And, well, not me because I pay for mine. But Do you really? It's how I get to do um, the interviews I do uh -huh. because I can call landlines and have conference calls with, the, with calling out to a, like a phone. And uh, that's how we talked to Jerry Ordway the first time. It's how we've talked to Dan Jurgens both times. It's how we've talked to Marv Wolfman. And I totally forgot this, this isn't for the show. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stay tuned. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stay tuned. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stay tuned. Quick, get it back up! Hurry! We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stay tuned. Are we all clear? Oh, okay, we're all clear. Great. All right, hit the red button. No, not that button! Ah, <laughs> <sighs> so Um, I have been hitting the 50 cent box at my uh, local comic shop a lot lately and getting some really good deals on comics. Um, years ago, uh, when I started having problems with DC, uh, it was really around 
a couple months into Countdown that things started going kind of piss wonky for me in DC Comics. And Countdown was sort of one of the catalysts of everything. And I dropped it. I dropped it after issue like 38, which I don't know what that translates into where it was because it started with issue 51. So I guess do the math on that one. It's like 14 issues in. 13, 14, yeah. Yeah. Um, And I always told myself I was never going to go back and buy it. But there's a rule that I have amongst my Bailey's rules of comic collecting is that if I drop something but find it later in a 50-cent bin, I'll probably buy it. Uh, And I found every single issue of Countdown I was missing in a 50-cent bin. So I ended up being like 36 issues, something like that, and I paid like 18 bucks for it, and those things were $3 a piece. So uh, score on my part. And I've kind of gone back and bought very cheap, I might add, like all the ancillary specials and tie-ins as well. And it's really kind of interesting because now I'm looking forward to reading it, even though I had such problems with it. And I'm wondering if the years are going to be kind to that story. Like, it's going to be better than I remembered it. I'm going to enjoy it more. And the main reason I think that is has to do with graphic audio. Um, for those of you that don't know, there's a company out there called Graphic Audio that produces movies in your mind, they call them. And they're kind of a slash between somebody reading a book and a radio drama. Right. Where they have a full cast, they have a narrator, they have music, they have sound effects. And among the licenses they hold, they hold the DC Comics license. And basically, if you ever stop at like a roadside gas station, they call them travel centers, that are these huge things that have showers sometimes and like video games. It's basically a place to chill out for a little while and truckers can, you know, get cleaned up there if they don't have any of those facilities in their truck. Yeah, hand jobs. Yeah, well, if you're lucky. Uh, But they also have a whole section where basically you can rent these things and listen to them as you drive. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't work that way because I want to listen to the DC stuff. And it started with Infinite Crisis, which I think Scott can agree was an amazing radio drama. Oh, yeah. Um, I like that a lot. Much better to a certain extent to a certain extent than the actual comic. 52 was the same way, uh, even though I loved 52 or... I would say 80, 85% of 52 I absolutely loved. Uh, 5% I kind of liked, and 10% I could have done without. Um, I could have really done without the whole Adam Strange, Lobo, Starfire, Animal Man thing out in space. That was like the one part of the series that I think dragged and dragged and dragged. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Black Adam stuff, the stuff with the question, the stuff with Booster Gold, I liked all of that. Uh, and that's really what they focused on in the in the graphic audio version. And the great thing about these things is that they've done, you know, like all the Greg Cox adaptations of the, the big events like Infinite Crisis, like 52, like Final Crisis, which I'm kind of listening to right now. But they went back and did all of the JLA novels. They've done a few of the DC Universe novels, one of them being Trail of Time, 
which I thought was excellent. And through it all, they pretty much have the same people playing the same characters. So James Konachek plays Superman in all of these things. And it gives them a nice continuity. Well, I listened to their Countdown production, which is based on the Greg Cox novel. And what they focused on there was the Challengers of the Unknown portion uh, truncating a lot of stuff. But they had the stuff with Jason Todd and Wonder Girl and the Monitor going from Earth to Earth to Earth, uh, trying to look for Ray Palmer, uh, eliminating Kyle Rayner, oddly enough, from that mix. That's odd. Um, but it still worked. I mean, it worked for what they were going for. And it followed Harley and Holly Robinson, who was Catwoman for a little while, and their thing. It followed Jimmy Olsen and his thing, and it followed Mary Marvel. And Mary Marvel, for me, was like a big sticking point of Countdown. Because it, it seemed like they were just turning her into a hussy. And they explored her character arc. And I, I kind of have, even listening to the graphic audio version, there's a big problem I have with how that character kind of went. And I don't want to really get into it because I don't want to give away too much for those that haven't listened to it or read that novel or read the series yet. But what it made me appreciate was the overall story of Countdown. And what it was trying to accomplish. And it really made me want to go back and read it. So it's kind of cool that I have all that stuff. You've been one of the few people I've ever come across outside of um, my friend Stella that actually had anything positive to say about Countdown. See, uh, you know, I, I remember um, when it was coming out, I was reading it. Um, it's weird because when 52 was coming out, I wasn't reading that because, you know, it was going to be this weekly thing. And I forget exactly how much the, the price was on it, but it, it was it was enough to where I couldn't afford to buy it, you know, coming out weekly the way it was. But everybody was raving about it, how great it was and everything. And I wasn't reading it as it was coming out. I ended up getting a really good deal on it. And bought the back issues of it and, and read it and was horribly disappointed in it. I didn't think it was very good at all. But then Countdown was the follow-up to that. And for some reason, I guess just because I had managed to score 52, I started getting Countdown. And uh, I'm trying to remember how this worked out. I think I was getting those at a... At a like a deep discount or something. I, I can't remember. I think the the place I was getting my comics from at the time, they were, they were going out of business or they sold like dinged up back issues, something like that. So I wasn't paying full price for them, but I was getting them pretty much as they were coming out. And I remember the, the boards that I was on at the time where people were really ripping on that story. And I was just like, Hmm, this is odd. See, I didn't like the 52 that everybody liked, but then I think this was a really good story, the the countdown one. But it's weird over time I found myself, you know, like being the guy that's constantly seems like I'm defending this uh countdown story, but then I have to admit, I really don't remember the the ins and outs of it all that well. It's it's starting to fade with time, so it may be one of those things where I'll reread it and it doesn't hold up as well now. But I just remember as it was coming out, I didn't see what what everybody's complaint with it was. I, I liked a lot of the elements. I, I think part of it was 
what you hit on, Mike, was that just a lot of parts of, of uh, 52 just involved characters and storylines I just didn't give a rat's ass about. You know, you had the stupid thing with Lobo and uh, the where the eye had come from and all that. And I just, I didn't like that at all. It really put me off that, you know, the, uh, the eye actually came from like a giant head and all. I just thought that was really dumb. I didn't like that. At all. I didn't like the thing with, with booster. Once again, I felt that booster was badly mischaracterized and they had the whole thing where, you know, he had a whole new secret identity and I just, I didn't, I couldn't find a storyline within that book to follow that I, I enjoyed even the steel and black Adam stuff. Oh yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. Uh, The steel stuff to me was, was easily skipped. He's just not a character that's ever really appealed to me anyway. I have to be honest. The black Adam stuff was, it was interesting, but I, even some of that I felt was like where he tore Terra man in half and stuff. I didn't, I didn't care for that too much, but the countdown one, Save for the Jimmy Olsen thing, um, <laughs> most of the story in that I really enjoyed. I, I found a lot of you know a lot to really enjoy and and get interested with that. Now I don't know how that would hold up on a reread though because I I do remember being kind of lukewarm on the whole Infinity Inc thing. I kept waiting basically for the real Infinity Inc to show up, which never did happen. But it was still an interesting. I, uh, that was 52 with Infinity Inc. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. See, I, I, see, I'm already confusing the two. But in uh, in Countdown, the, the story that I did, well, there were two stories that I really liked in there, which was the uh, the thing with Jason Todd, Donna Troy, and, uh, and Kyle Rayner hopping Earths. I liked that story. I liked it a lot. I liked when they actually did find Ray and why he was hiding where he was hiding. I liked that quite a bit. And I loved the stuff with uh, with Superboy Prime. I mean, there were two issues in that series that I thought were just absolutely phenomenal Superman material. The one where he destroyed a, a, an Earth. I mean, he took out an Earth all by himself. I thought it was just awesome. I mean, that was the the visuals in that issue were just incredible. I mean, it was really cool to see but it was also damn scary that the, you know this kid just because he was having a temper tantrum destroys an entire planet i i just i liked that i thought it was a really cool concept and then the one where he just beat the living crap out of uh makes you spit lick i mean that was just that was a, a, a personal <laughs> geek fantasy for me come to life so i like that a lot but uh yeah i, I liked the storyline just i just liked it better in that when it seemed that uh they really at least i would say for maybe the first half of countdown that the tie-in was working because it really did feel like wow i don't have to read anything else in dc right now and i know exactly what's going on by reading this one title that i'm getting enough snippets of what's happening in every other book that reading this one book kind of gives me everything i need i I liked that feel i would say that that didn't it didn't persist through the entire title unfortunately there was somewhere i would say roughly the halfway point where i realized that it was starting to break down but at least in the earliest issues because i was right i was reading several other dc titles at the time 
I felt like they were really nailing it in the very beginning of Countdown as far as the, the continuity between that crossover book and the actual you know monthly titles was really strong, especially with the Superman stuff. Well, that, that book was very much designed to be the spine of the DC universe. Right. I remember that was kind of like the buzz term right. for Countdown. And it, it's kind of a... <laughs> It's kind of funny because I look back on that time and like going into 2007 when DC was really big into its one year later initiative. Mm -hmm. And and I think my main problem with DC during that time period was, well, there were a couple problems. Uh, One, they really seem to have their act together leading up to Infinite Crisis. Right. Uh, I didn't agree with everything they did, and I think a lot of it was a very, as I used to say, a vacuum, door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman approach to doing comics. Uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths fixed a problem that Marv Wolfman and others perceived, but they didn't cause the problem. They didn't create the multiverse. You know, agree or disagree about whether or not the multiverse was complicated, they saw it as a problem that needed fixing. So through the course of the story, they not only unified it, but they fixed the issue. Everything with Infinite Crisis, uh, especially the Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman not getting along, was orchestrated amongst the creators of Infinite Crisis. So it was very much like a vacuum cleaner salesman coming into your house, dumping a bunch of trash on your floor, vacuuming it up, and then seeing, oh, look, look at the great job this vacuum cleaner does cleaning up the mess that I caused. Right. Um, Maybe not the best comparison, but I think it works. Uh, So, like, all the problems that Infinite Crisis solved were problems they set up. And they did a great job of setting it up, so I really didn't notice it at the time, and it really didn't bother me. After Infinite Crisis, when they got into One Year Later, which was very hit and miss to me, and they did 52, which I thought was a great series. I I, I liked it a lot better than you did. I'm not saying you're wrong for not liking it. It's just my opinion. Um, When they got into Countdown, it had been a year since Infinite Crisis, and it really became apparent that outside of one or two characters, they didn't have a game plan anymore. It's like Green Lantern was planned out beautifully, which leading up to the Sinestro Corps War, which was awesome. I loved the Sinestro Corps War. I thought that was a great setup. And Grant Morrison had his thing going with Batman, so that was progressing nicely. But the one character that I really cared about seemed to kind of meander for the longest time. The books were late, and nothing was really consistent, and then they had Bart Allen as the Flash, and then 14 issues later killed him, because the book wasn't doing that well, and they weren't ready to bring back Barry yet, so they brought back Wally, and he had a series, and that didn't really go all that well. And I hate to say that, because Mark Wade was such a great writer on it. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like... All of the goodwill they had garnered within me through the course of the lead-up to Infinite Crisis evaporated, and I think Countdown was a casualty of that. I think because of the things that were going on in Countdown, like I said, especially kind of involving Mary Marvel, and it's not that I mind a character that was good 
turning evil. It's just the thing they focused on, and, and I know that comics are a visual medium, so I get that. But it seemed like most of her evilness was in the fact that she was wearing a tight outfit with a short skirt. And that kind of distracted from the overall story they were trying to tell with her. And I think that kind of hurt the series a little bit. And I remember it tying into like other DC books. I remember it tying into Amazon's attack. Uh, Amazon attack Amazon's attack there was just problem Amazon's attack sucked ass <laughs> I that didn't was even a, read it oh god it was awful and it's really funny because I don't know how you pronounce her name Jody Picoult um who is this very well-known writer right who has a large uh, follow, uh female following gets to write Wonder Woman Okay, but instead of having her come on and write the Wonder Woman story she wants to write, she gets to write all the issues leading up to Amazon's attack. And it's just like, what the hell? Because I was following Wonder Woman. There's another character that meandered until Gail Simone got a hold of her. And by that point, I wasn't even reading the book. But it's like her book was so late and they were doing such weird things with her. I get it. You guys like this Wonder Woman of the 70s and you want to see her spin and turn into Wonder Woman. And Diana Prince is a government agent and that's all cool. But it didn't have any of the power that the Perez or the Rucka Wonder Woman had. So, it's kind of interesting going back and reading some of these books, because I've been picking up uh, really cheap, I might add, you know, holes in my collection like Firestorm, the Jason Rush Firestorm, and I found for like a dollar a piece a bunch of the Manhunter issues leading up to Infinite Crisis that I was missing, and now I'm starting to find some Hawkman issues the, of that era that you really liked with Palmiati and Gray writing it. Uh, after Jeff Johns left, I'll be very curious to know what you uh, what you think um, of that. I'm finding that in a fifty cent bin, so it's really odd that after spending a year kind of away from DC as a fan, that I'm coming back and really embracing the past of that universe. Not so much the new stuff. I mean, I'm reading the new stuff, but it doesn't. It's not getting me. It's not turning me away, but it's not getting me either. I, I guess because it is a whole new era, it doesn't feel like my DC Universe, which I'm sure is how many people felt after Crisis on Infinite Earths. So there you go on that. Not going to deny that at all. But I guess that also goes to say that I like buying cheap comics and I like listening to graphic audio stuff. <laughs> graphic audio is awesome. I'm, I am... Half, almost halfway through the first part of No Man's Land, which was based on the Greg Rucka novel, and that thing was amazing. And they're doing such a great job with it. They really are. I don't know how much of the other stuff you've listened to with them. I've listened. Let me see. I listened to Infinite Crisis. I'm trying to remember what I, I've listened to several of the projects. I'm just, I'm struggling to remember what the different ones were now, but that was the one that I, I think most impressed me because it took a story that I really did not like and really made it work in the audio format to the degree that I not only liked the story, but I liked their version, you know, so much better. Um, 
I keep meaning to listen to that Trail of Time one because I know that you and I wanted to talk about it. I, I just haven't made the time to listen to it yet. But uh, that one intrigues me just as the choice of that one to do because that's kind of an obscure one. You know, I mean, it was a, it was just a prose novel that I'm not even sure that many people read. But uh, I'm I'm still interested to listen to it because I enjoyed that story quite a bit. It uh, it was an odd one though. <laughs> It was, you know, it threw together a lot of diverse characters in one story, which uh, I, I always get a kick out of that. Well, what I liked about it was, one, I like the idea of DC's Western com- characters. I don't know if I'll like the actual comic books, but I like the idea that DC has this entire corner of its universe that has characters that were alive in the Old West. Like mm-hmm. Batlash and El Diablo and Powwow Smith and um, Jonah Hex. It's mm-hmm. not the one I was forgetting, by the way. You'd beat my ass if I ever forget <laughs> Jonah Hex's name. Um, what is it? What is oh god? Nighthawk and uh, uh, Nighthawk and the one that wasn't Indian, but he was a white guy. But Scalp he wasn't Hunter. Scalp Hunter. That's who I'm thinking of. And I just love that those characters are out there. Because it makes the DC Universe feel like it has all of these other areas behind, beyond the superheroes. And it's not that I'm trying to say that having it being so full of superheroes is a bad thing, because I love superheroes. But, you know, the fact that it has these magic users, and it has these Western characters, and it has this space stuff that half the time I really don't care about. And you had all those guys teaming up. And then on the other side, you had Superman, the Demon, and the Phantom Stranger. Mm-hmm. And the Phantom Stranger actually doing something instead of standing there and acting mysterious. Great story. And there's a scene in the beginning of that book that just was a punch in the gut for me. And I think that went a long way to make me go, okay, this story... They did it because they could do it because it had to do with an alternate reality. But still, they the, the writer and the people producing the graphic audio thing made it have a lot of impact for me. And the great the other great thing is is uh, on their site uh, when I bought No Man's Land the other night, um, I found that they had some podcasts with interviews with Richard Rowan, who is the director and the narrator. Uh, that you hear through the um, through the stories, hmm. and th- yeah, the, the guy narrating like Infinite Crisis, his name's Richard Rowan, and he's really he's one of the, I like, like I said, he's the director of 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 many of the DC projects, and this guy knows his shit, Scott. He's and in, in, in the course of the two interviews, he's just rattling off facts and figures about characters. Uh, they did a 30-minute episode on the Green Lantern Sleepers trilogy, and he laid out in that interview like the basic history of every Green Lantern, except for Guy Gardner. And I was just like, wow, this guy knows what he's doing. Very good. Awesome. Do you, do you know if they've adapted the Roger Stern, um, not the Death and Life of Superman, yes, but they the, have. the other one that he did, the just it was under the Justice League of America. Yes, they have. They have done that one. They've done they've done all of those JLA books. I've got to listen to that because I have that book and I just haven't made the time to read it yet. I won't go into my opinion then. I wonder if uh, 
if they'll do the uh, the John Byrne. John Byrne did a Wonder Woman book at one point. That was pretty good. I liked that. I, I need to read that because uh, for some reason I've had a lot of trouble getting my hands on that book. But I'd like to read it because I read his other uh, prose novels that he did. And uh, the first one, Fear Book, I liked a whole lot. The The second one, uh, The Whipping Boy, was eh, it was all right. It wasn't it wasn't great. It, the subject matter really was what didn't appeal to me. It's not that it was a bad book. I just didn't really care about what it was about. But Fear Book was really, really good. I did, did you ever finish that? No, because it's very sad to say this. It felt like a big old Stephen King knockoff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, I think that really hurt it for me. Because I was like, ooh, John Byrne does, an, does a horror story. Oh, it's John Byrne. Doing a Stephen King novel, right? This this has less appeal t- to me, and and it's probably because I first read about it when I was twelve, and I was thirty three when I actually got around to reading it. So, <laughs> twenty years of anticipation does not make for a good reading experience sometimes, because <laughs> there's a lot of build up. It's like da 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 da, right. But um, I am hoping, even though they have the, the, the BBC Superman Lives and the BBC Nightfall, that Graphic Audio gets a chance to do the Death and Life of Superman and the Nightfall novels that came out, because both of those were excellent. And with the job they're doing on No Man's Land, um, I didn't really... I had some problems with Never Ending Battle, which was the Superman novel from the JLA line. Um just in terms of the writing, the story itself is fine. It's just the writing in places was a little off to me. Um, but it's fun to listen to nonetheless, especially uh, with the uh, the cast and everything. And the fact that Superman has his own little theme, which sounds a little like the John Williams theme, uh, which I always thought was cool. Especially in Infinite Crisis, when the two Superman were going after Doomsday. And you had that bump it up, bump it up music playing. It's just like, oh hell yeah, <laughs> I am so down with this right now. And dude, I defy you to say you have a soul if you don't get choked up when Lois dies in Infinite Crisis, uh, the Earth Two Lois. My God, I was bawling like a baby the last time I listened to it. <laughs> Serious, dude. I get like that. I'm I'm a softy. I can't help it. I'm waiting for you to take your shot. So no, no, no. Um, you were saying before about the the fifty cent comics, though. You know, it's something I, I I meant to. I probably should have thrown out before when we were talking. Uh, um, in this week's tales about uh, or last week's tales about um, you know, just we were talking about Superman and and stuff like that. You know, one of the reasons it has been easier for me to to walk away from things lately and you know for the most part i have pretty much walked away from both you know current day dc and marvel books but one of the things that's really helped with that is i had been noticing for quite some time now you know going to different conventions and one day shows and stuff like that you know, I, I'd be going through the the dealer boxes of the cheap stuff. You know, the quarter bins or the fifty cent bins and stuff, and finding entire runs. You know, 
a year or two's worth of books that I had just bought, you know, full price. <laughs> and that was irritating the hell out of me. And for the longest time, I had been actually debating, you know, wow, could I really stop buying, you know, Title X and just start hunting it in the back issues and, and save myself some some money? And so when I really just eventually kind of got disgusted with both of the, the universes, that was one of the things that really made that decision easier is that, you know, it, it helps you to to really come to know what's the stuff that really is important to you versus what's the stuff that you've just been buying out of, you know, some habit or some sense of obligation is when you run into that stuff later on in the cheap bins, you know, and it kind of puts it in perspective a little bit. So while I'm not keeping up with the the current stuff that's coming out, it doesn't mean I'm not still keeping an eye out and, and maybe even picking some stuff up in the back issue bins, you know. And Superman's probably the easiest one because, I mean, God, what, what was the last issue of Superman that came out that did anything on the back issue market? So I mean, you could get a, you could get caught up with Superman fairly easy at at just about any point, you know, in modern Superman stuff, you know, for for half the price or less. Yeah, even the variant covers are coming down in price because I was able to snap a lot of those up recently, very cheap mm-hmm. on eBay. You know, when they when those variant covers come out, you know, dealers can put a ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty five dollar price tag on it. But then, like two years later, when they're still sitting in their back issue selection, it's just like crap. Throw a five dollar price tag on it and get it out of here. And you know, at that point, I'm like, yoink. You know, a couple years ago, I got invited to be on a on a podcast um, to talk about Superman, and I had specifically requested to talk about Burn Era Superman because that's the one I was most passionate about, the one I felt like I knew the most about, and you know, it was just that the the one that was personal to me, and they couldn't squeeze me in for that one because that one was already taken. So the the spot that was available was basically the last spot, which was you know modern day Superman. And I kind of went into a panic because at the time I had just dropped Superman. This was uh, this was maybe a year or so into the uh, one year later stuff. Because I just got disgusted with it. I, I was so pissed off and fed up that I, I, I dropped it. And then I was in a panic of, oh my God, I got to get caught up on this so I don't sound like an idiot in this episode. And went onto eBay and bought everything that I was missing in one fell swoop and spent, you know, like a third of the price of if I'd have bought it brand new off the stands. And that's when it really brought my little theory home that, wow, okay, I was right, you know, that I don't have to be keeping up with this stuff, you know, month to month if I really don't want to, because you can just, you can always get it in the back issue. And I think that's also, yeah, I think that's really awesome, but I also think that's kind of worrisome too. Yeah. Um, When comics are that way, I can't help but wonder if that might play into why sales figures have decreased that other people haven't figured the same thing out that you know gee if i wait a year 
I can pick this all up on you know off of eBay and pay you know fifty cents to a dollar an issue as opposed to you know three or four bucks an issue for it if I if I buy it brand new you know and I, honestly I never really understood why I was one of those guys that had to rush to the comic shop you know that week you know right on release day and buy you know my comics right away I haven't done that in over twenty years because. It just, you know, I got to a point where I have so much stuff to read all the time that I was never or rarely ever caught up on my books anyway. So they would sit there and pile up. And, you know, so that it just made it that much easier to start hunting things as, you know, as back issues and buying them in, in lots, which is typically the way I read comics anyway. You know, I, I like to let things build up for say, you know, six issues and then, what, you know, read a whole story arc in one fell swoop because I, don't, I won't remember what's happening <laughs> week to week or month to month on a title anyway. I kind of have to read it in a block for it to really sink in. You know, thinking about it in my time of regularly going to a comic shop, which I didn't start, like, weekly, the weekly trip until I was in college, because <clears throat> I, you know, I went to the comic shop through junior high and high school, and I even had a box in most of them. But it wasn't—I didn't have the disposable income at the time to pick books up on a weekly basis. Um, nor did I have the transportation some of the time to do that. But you know, after I was in college, you know, I was on my own ostensibly, and I had a job and I had a car, so I could go every week. And for the longest time through the '90s, and even kind of leading up to Infinite Crisis except for a couple patches here and there where I either couldn't afford it or there was a kind of a little burnout going on. I always like just getting the latest issues. And it also, especially when I moved down to Georgia, there was a serious social aspect to going to the comic shop. Right. Uh, especially like 97 through 99 when I met my wife, you know, all of 1997, Friday, man, getting off work at seven in the morning going home eating breakfast waiting for my check to get there taking my check to the bank going to the comic shop hanging out with chuck sheffy for a couple hours talking picking up my new books maybe picking up something to eat afterwards like wendy's or captain d's because i like to eat healthy uh and <laughs> going home and, and and going to bed but then the next night at work because i usually had to work saturdays i'd bring my new books with me and that night would be the night I read all my new books. And there was always always kind of a certain level of excitement there that really left when Chuck Sheffy was let go from Titans. Because up until that point, even though I wasn't enjoying all of the books, if I got to go to the comic shop on Wednesday, it was like, it's like going to Cheers. You walk in and everyone's like, Mike! You know, and, you know, hey, everybody, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and I'm wearing milk-bone underwear. You know, whatever. Um, and, you know, like, all the same people came every week. You got to hang out. You got to talk. And sometimes we talk about the comics, but mostly we talk about, you know, they get into a discussion about sports where I would go look at the new issue rack because I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> or we talk about crappy movies. And it was a lot of fun, and I just... I like going to the shop weekly now, mainly because I like looking through the new stuff that's in the 50-cent box. 
because Dave is constantly buying collections. And uh, I was, I was, a little, I didn't mention it to him. I, I really should have, but I forgot to before I left. Uh, you were with, you've gone to with me to Dave's um, mm-hmm. to look, and there were some boxes with a bunch of stuff piled on top of it. Uh, and you would have to move it out of the way. Well, in the very, very back, uh, he had a secondary 50-cent selection. And there's a bunch of stuff piled on top of it, one of which, I've got to see how much he wants for this, is an early Rocketeer hardcover with an introduction by Harlan Ellison oh, wow. uh, that I'd like to pick up. Under that was a couple Cherry Pop-Tart collections. <laughs> and I'm like, you may not want to have that line out. For little kids to come back here and find. I actually have quite a few issues of Cherry <laughs> Pop-Tart. Um, when I was 19, living in Emmaus, Pennsylvania, there was this uh, convenience store called the Unimart that sold comics. And when I say they sold comics, I mean the comics on their spinner rack were bagged and boarded. And he had back issues. And one day he's like, you like comics? Let me show you these. And he brought out some Cherry Pop-Tarts. <laughs> and I bought them. They're funny. Oh yeah, some they of them. There is some good satire going on in the full frontal triple X. <laughs> her fucking a dolphin. So what you were saying before essentially was that the downfall of uh, the modern comics industry can be traced directly to Chuck Sheffy. That's that's what I took out of that. <laughs> I, you know, I have, you know, I like Chuck just fine. I, you know, but I have no problem whatsoever making him the scapegoat in this situation. That, that, no, it's, it's that when works. Titan, when Titans let him go, the comic gods decided that that was it. <laughs> Made more so by the fact that two weeks after it was announced that he was let go, the Titan sign that had been up for over two decades, got knocked over and smashed into a thousand pieces in a windstorm. <laughs> was that a quote-unquote windstorm or a no, real it windstorm? A, it was a real, it was one of the bad storms we had. And the sign fell and shattered. And I'm just like, well, God has had his say on Chuck Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> it was a damn shame that he was let go um because he knew his customers he knew what they wanted and if you needed something or if you or if somehow something got left out he'd he'd get it for you and it would be in your box within a week or two and as much as i liked the guys that came after him they didn't have that same level of dedication um and you would think that two guys could do the work of one but apparently not so I mean, they were great guys. Like I said, I liked talking to them and liked hanging out with them. And Chuck asked us to stay because all of us were like, we're fucking gone. <laughs> but we had a meeting in the back room. I'm not kidding. We had a meeting. Um, and he was just like, don't go. Stay. Keep your box here. It's fine. See how it goes. So <laughs> I can't believe we had a meeting. <laughs> so you... uh you've been catching up on a lot of uh, more or less modern DC stuff through the back issues. Are, are you getting the the brand new stuff that's coming out now? Are you getting any of that? Um, I've been buying the Superman titles, which except for Superboy have been rather good. 
uh, action has, like I, I explained either on this or the tales we just recorded, uh, I have a couple problems with action, but overall I've, I've kind of enjoyed it. Um, I am, <laughs> what is your rule about comics? If it sits on the stack for how long? You drop it typically obviously. three issues. If 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 I if I pile up more than three, then that's usually, you know, I, I won't necessarily okay. That's it. I'll drop it. But that's that's definitely like where the red flag goes up. That hmm, you may not be into this title, you know. So, well, I'm kind of getting to that point with a lot of these books because I just haven't had between podcasting and and other reading things that have distracted me. I haven't had a chance to read my new books, and. uh I know at some point I'll sit down and read them. Uh, Batgirl was enjoyable. Um, I really didn't like the first issue of Detective Comics that I read. It's like the the writer took everything he had ever read in a Frank Miller Batman comic and just threw it out there on the page. Hmm. Uh, and Green Arrow was kind of cool because it was written by J.T. Cruel with uh, art by Dan Jurgens. So it's two guys that I like. It felt very much like the Smallville um, Green Arrow. And I know you don't really care for Green Arrow all that much anyways. So, uh, except probably in specific instances, if I'm remembering our previous conversations. Yeah. About yeah. Ollie. Uh, Static Shock felt like a DC 90s comic. And I really dug it. It was a lot of fun. And that was the thing. It was fun. I was wondering how that snuck through the current DC thing. Justice League. Justice League feels like some really, really good fan fiction. <laughs> okay. Um, it's the Justice League coming together and the whole plot is leading to a confrontation with Darkseid. That that dark side is what gets the Justice League together, and to me that feels very fan fictionish, because I'm of the opinion that the fourth world, evolving out of an obscure Superman title, works a lot better than him being the bad guy that brings the Justice League together. Because then he he evolves into a great villain. He's not the biggest badass right off. So right. Um. The designs are interesting, but Justice League is at least enjoyable. The Jim Lee artwork is good. I was very impressed with the second issue because the cover showed Superman and Batman fighting, but that didn't really happen in the issue. As a matter of fact, Batman was kind of the voice of reason getting Green Lantern and Superman to stop fighting. Um, though somebody pointed this out to me and I didn't really notice it at first, is the first three heroes you see in Justice League are the ones that either have had or are going to have a major motion picture scene. Mm -hmm. So the first two heroes they really focused on were Batman and Green Lantern, and then Superman shows up at the end. So it's yeah. like, huh, that's kind of weird. You know, I, I don't know where DC's going to go. The sales have been phenomenal. They have a 51% market share right now. They're beating Marvel out by 20%. So Wow, really? Yeah, they're uh, they're doing well, but here's the thing: is that going to continue? Yeah, and I was just going to say that that's probably that. due to this real. I mean, for a while there, didn't they see a serious spike during uh, 
uh, the Sinestro Core War and stuff like that too. And I mean, and look and look at look at Crisis on Infinite Earths, all the stuff after that. DC had a had some really good successes with their books. Uh, I don't have the sales figures, but it seemed like after Crisis, DC could really compete with Marvel uh, in a way that they couldn't before the Crisis. Outside of New Teen Titans and Legion of Superheroes. Hmm. I don't know. I'm 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 tempted to make a commentary, but having not read any of this new stuff that's coming out, it probably would be an unfair uh, comparison slash criticism. So I'll hold my tongue. But I think it's very interesting just to to see where we've each gone. You know how how. Uh, these changes have affected each of us because I've kind of, you know, it, it really has bothered me over time with, with different things that have happened with sweeping changes and reboots and reimaginings and things like that, whether it be, you know, DC comics or uh, Star Trek or something like that. One of the things that inevitably gets said by someone is, well, you know, the old stories still are there. You know, they're there for you to enjoy. I always hate that because it feels very uh, dismissive and condescending to me. You know, that, well, you know, if you're not happy with, with what's going on now, you know, your thing still exists out there. You know, it's still on paper. It's still on DVD or whatever. It's it's just has always felt like a very insulting thing to say to say or you know to hear from someone whether they intended it that way or not but strangely that is kind of where i've gone is uh you know i'm not really keeping up with any of the new stuff that's coming out but i have kind of retreated into the back issue bins so to speak and i'm actually finding a lot of enjoyment just doing that you know really because I'm getting so very little new comics these days that it's kind of freed up what, what little comic money I do have to spend to really dig back into the bins in a way that I haven't done in quite a long time. I mean, I don't think I've really done this much back issue hunting and buying since uh, I really was first getting into comics. And especially like when uh, when I was in the Air Force... You know, I was single, I was young, you know, I didn't really have any bills, no responsibilities. I lived in the dorm, you know, the food was provided. So money was just, you know, money. It was just, you know, I could do whatever the hell I wanted with it. And I spent a lot of it on comics. Now, I'm not in that situation today by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I have, you know, family and bills and all that just like anybody else. But, you know, by not being so involved with the new stuff that's coming out, it's freed up those comics dollars to, you know, hunt the back issues the the way that I, you know, I used to like to do, and and I've really been making some uh, some nice discoveries both in stuff that I've been buying, and then I'm trying to trying my best to keep up a little bit more with if I buy something new that I'm all excited about. Rather than just throw it in a box and hope that I'll live long enough to read it someday, I'm trying to actually make the time to read the shit as wow. I'm buying it. You know what I mean? That's dire. Well, no, I mean I'm serious though. I mean I don't, I can't tell you the number of of great comics and novels and everything else that I have bought 
you know, over the years of, of just being a collector that I had every intention to read. And I was so excited about finding, you know, this great find or this great deal or, you know, this lot or whatever. And then it just, it gets thrown in a, in a box. And I still, I mean, there's so many really great runs, or at least I, I'm, you know, I've heard that they were great, or I hope that they're great that I busted my ass to, to get a good deal on and to build a collection of, and then they just sit and I don't find the time to get to them, you know? And I, I could name you a thousand different comics titles that I have that I want to read them. I just haven't made the time, you know, I, I haven't found the time to get into it. So now, you know, as I get that great eBay, you know, that great eBay find or, you know, this, this, you know, really good deal on a, on a back issue at some shop or, you know, this novel that, you know, only cost me a dollar that I was all excited about. I'm really trying to make a better effort to, okay, you're excited about this. Read it right now. Read it right now while you are excited about it. Don't just throw it in a box, you know? And, uh, and I'm finding a lot of enjoyment out of that, you know, really trying to make the time to, you know, enjoy it while I'm still, all fired up about it you know what i mean oh yeah so i definitely know what you mean on that and it's kind of funny is uh one of the things that i've been struggling with for years that i didn't have a a problem before and i can trace it to the day i started podcasting um which is a negative towards the podcasting it's just kind of a fact of life um is uh staying focused on a reading project Mm mm-hmm because, you know, something gets laid by the wayside because I've got to read, you know, the, the, these books for this show and uh, another set of books for that show and, you know, type up notes and stuff that I don't really get a chance. And then I lose interest. And then that, like, day I spent organizing 600 comics uh, gets kind of wasted because i got to reorganize them back into their original order and file them again. Right. So what I'm doing with my current reading, my current fun reading project is sticking with it and not putting it back up and uh, making the time at night before going to bed to going through like five or six issues of, of what I'm doing and, and, and really uh, trying to to stay with it instead of being like a freaking, you know, like a, a, as Dennis Miller used to say, a ferret on a double espresso where it's just like, ooh, shiny. <laughs> it's like I'm sitting here talking to you. Squirrel! Hi there. So... <laughs> Yeah, I can make up references. It's part of my charm. No, it's just... Um, I, I think the other thing that's making these things so appealing is that they're so damn cheap. Cheap makes everything look good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, there have been some really uh, some nice deals that uh, have fallen in my lap lately. So, yeah, I agree with you there. Cheap does make everything better. You know, like through uh, eBay, mycomicshop.com. Lone Star Comics out of Texas has a store. And I picked up, like I said, some of those Firestorm issues, some of those Manhunter issues, some Aquaman issues of things that I've just had holes in my collection for like a dollar a piece. And those things were like $2.99 originally. So I think I, I feel like I'm really getting a good deal out of it because uh, I haven't been able to find them thus far. And next week's going to be kind of interesting because. Well, 
Dave's having a four for a dollar sale out of his 50 cent books on Black Friday. And I get to go. Because I don't have to open at the ass crack of dawn on Black Friday this year. I get to go in at 10. Which means that I can go to the comic shop at 8 in the morning. <laughs> what a sad, pathetic life <laughs> I lead. Oh, the uh, the LCS I've been going to here, they're having a sale this, uh, this coming up Saturday that I'm really excited about. I'm just hoping that uh, I haven't been to it in a while to pick up my regular books. I'm hoping that my regular books are not so expensive that I can't take advantage of the sale. But uh, I, it said in the, in the flyer that I received that uh, there's going to be thousands and thousands of three for a dollar comics. So I'm pretty Ooh. excited about that. So we'll see. Uh, unfortunately, it's 16 boxes of Brigade number one. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> now, there's a lot of 90s image stuff in Dave's stock, but there's also some good stuff. And the fun part will be digging through it. The only problem is, is that I think it, I don't know how wild it's going to be at eight o'clock because comic fans by nature are not uh morning creatures uh i really like them to do a nat geo special on the comic fan the comic fan the comic fan rises at noon what the hell is nat geo yeah it's what national national geo i realized afterwards it's getting late and i'm getting punchy But no, it's it's been kind of weird lately. It's just comic book wise, it's been very strange. I, uh, I I I'm re I'm going back to a couple years ago and seeing if it was as bad as I thought it was, or if I was just being a whiny bitch. Uh, and I think it's going to be kind of like a little of column A, a little of column B there <laughs> <laughs> for me personally. Well, you know, I was. Uh... I was reading reading or listening to something recently. I can't remember if it was if I was reading it or I was listening to it. Anyway, that was talking about you know co- comics as a medium and and Superman in particular about you know the the rises and falls and how the characters changed over time and stuff like that. And I, I've been ta- trying my damnedest to take some comfort out of the fact that, you know, historically speaking, he has changed with the times and, you know, he, he's uh, r- risen and fallen over the decades. And, you know, he's had, you know, much like any other character or any other medium, you know, he, he's had his ups and he's had his downs. And so I'm hoping that while I'm not at all crazy about what's, currently going on um you know he'll endure he'll survive and hopefully the pendulum will swing back the other way you know into something you know i i can sink my teeth into so that that you know i've tried to comfort myself with that thought and think that you know that that will more than likely happen it's just a matter of you know surviving till that happens and and you know holding on to that hope that it really will happen yeah, but it it it's hard right now because it feels like it's not just him. You know, there are several other franchises that are kind of going through the same thing. You know, where I'm not crazy about current trends, and so it it, it makes it hard when you feel like, man, you know, where do I turn? Because 
all of these things that I, I've held near and dear are kind of, you know, quote unquote under attack right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see how things go. But in the meantime, I'm enjoying the back issue thing quite a bit, and uh, I realize that this was far from a, uh, a traditional episode of Back to the Bins after all. But uh, I'm hoping next time we can get together and uh, and we'll do you know much very much an old school episode where we'll we'll bring some randomness to this I, I had one other thing i wanted to pick your brain about real quick <laughs> i had a strange thought occur to me today um can you think of a time when supergirl and power girl met or or were in a story together because i can only think of one uh which version of the characters like you know the pre-crisis Because I was, I guess I was just kind of putting together in my head where we're headed with uh, with Tales of the Justice Society and you know the stories that we're going to be covering coming up and stuff like that. And uh, and for some odd reason, I don't know why I I hit upon those two particular characters, but I was really racking my brain trying to think of a time. I really had- can't remember if they ever met. Well, the only thing I can think of was that in that uh, that three issue Wonder Woman story where she basically assembled, you know, her own team that was all made of females. I know that on the cover of the third issue of that, which is Wonder Woman two ninety three, both Supergirl and Power Girl are there on the cover, but whether they actually get any screen time together within the story to in, to actually interact, I don't know. So I am I, I'm gonna dig that out um, and, uh, and give that a read, and I might be talking about that soon on uh, on one of our okay. multitude of projects. But come on, Scott, we don't have enough to talk about. We got so much to talk about. We've got too much to talk about, I think, really, for two sane and rational. Well, I don't think either of us could be really described as sane and rational. Um, no, <laughs> not at all. Not nah, really. No. Nah. I mean, it's it's not a bad thing. I mean, I like being irrational, irrationally irrational. That is like being super irrational. So. And the cover of these books lie. <laughs> that's comics for you. Well, I think that's about all I got for this time around. What do, what do you got? I've ta- I've talked enough. I've probably monopolized <laughs> the episode more than I really needed to. No, that's fine. The, the, I'm sure that the uh, the listeners have have missed you being around on uh, on Back to the Bin. So as I say, well, oh, you're we'll doing talk. a great job with the Superman stuff, sir. Don't oh, let well, thank you. Tell you different. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, I'm not a. Check? <laughs> I'm not sure where all that's headed just yet, but I'm I'm getting a kick out of it. But uh, I, I just realized, and I mentioned this to you as we were getting started recording this tonight, that by by absolutely no planning at all, that this past month actually shaped up very much like how I would like future months to show up. So you know, you got Superman toward the beginning of the month, and then you know, 
at some point a Jonah Hex and then kind of wrapping up the month with a, uh, you know, more or less traditional back to the bins. At least, you know, this one is, you know, like we say, not really a traditional one because we didn't bring the, the random comicness to it, but it's still you and I just shooting the shit about comics, which is pretty much what the show has always been about. So I want to try to keep doing something like that. Um, at some point that other, that other spot in the week may or may not become, Yet another different show. I really haven't decided yet if you know if I want to do four different format type of things, or if you know we'll get two installments of one of the others, like say two installments of Superman or two installments of Back to the Bins, or I don't know. But I kind of like this idea of somewhat mirroring the uh, the two true freaks. You know how every month, you know every week, it's a different you know, subject within the, you know, that monthly framework. I kind of like that. So that's well, kind of what mean, I'm shooting for. If it means you doing more, uh, Superman stuff and, uh, Jonah Hex episodes, I'm all for it. Me too. Me too. I, I had a blast doing that Jonah Hex, the, the episode I just put out. It was a hell of a lot of work because for all my talk at the beginning of the episode that I was going to scale back and all that, pff, it never happened. I ended up throwing all the <laughs> same thing. It took, it took a whole day, which was like, damn, this is why I haven't been doing this show because it takes forever to put it together. But at the end of the day, I was very happy with how it came out. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm still awaiting uh, listener feedback on that one. So we'll see what people have to say. But they asked for it, so there it is. But... Uh, I just, I, I guess I'll close out this way with, uh, I'm, I'd still want to hear from the listeners. You know, what do you guys, you know, there's still that fourth spot available. Let me know what you guys, uh, what you guys are interested in. We certainly, you know, between this show and Tales and uh, Comics Monthly Monday, we sure have shown, you know, thrown out a lot of ideas for, you know, podcasts we'd like to do that still haven't quite materialized yet. So, you know, the, the spot, you know, the spot is there and there's, you know, there's room. So let us know. So I know that you and I had kicked around different ideas from time to time of things we'd like to do. So I'm still open to it. There's, there's any number of things we could do in that spot. Full frontal. (laughs) (laughs) Scary. Cherry Pop Tart, the podcast. <laughs> My problem with that is like halfway through, you'd hear. <laughs> Mike, what are you doing? Nothing. Shut up. I'm almost finished. <laughs> I think that's where I'm going to take this episode out. <laughs> oh, great with the I... masturbation joke. There you go. <laughs>